You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Years ago, my wife and I visited this church in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, just by the nature of the job, I'm usually here on Sunday mornings, but when I'm not, we, we uh, love to visit other churches, and it gives us this, this healthy perspective of church life. It reminds us of what it's like to be new. If I'm honest, it's just nice to be in a church service and feel like I can just completely let my guard down. And um, so I looked up this church online, and everything on their website was solid. Uh, I loved what they were doing. Uh, I loved uh, their worship music. I, I loved their teaching. It, it seemed like a solid church. And so we finally found a place to park uh, that Sunday morning and walked inside, and there were men and women of all ages, uh, still mostly younger families, and uh, quite a few college students were in the service. And... Um, the uh, sanctuary, it was a little small, but, but beautiful, and the handouts were modern and clean and simple, and everything about that morning was perfect. The pastor delivered uh, this spot-on message uh, with, I would say, some perfect illustrations, and when the service was over, my wife and I, we walked back to our car, and we got in our car, and I, I looked at her and said, that was great, but you know what was weird? No one said, no one said anything to us. Like, no one, no one introduced themselves to us. No one even looked at, no one even looked at us and said, hello. Now, I'm not oblivious to the reality that even great churches drop the ball sometimes. We certainly do. It's very possible we, un, we just, like, unintentionally fell through the cracks that Sunday uh, morning. And I, I really can't judge a church by one Sunday. I don't think you should either. Um, but it was this powerful reminder of what it feels like to be visiting. It's a powerful reminder that East River Park better be a loving and welcoming church. And I personally, I apologize to anyone that has ever been here and no one has ever even said hello to you. That's not who we want to be as a church. And uh, I'm personally thankful for the hard work of our hospitality team that helps kind of fill in those cracks as best as we can, but the truth is still the same. Like, we forget what it's like being new. We forget what it's like walking into a church for the first time, and the text of Psalm 15 is about to elevate those thoughts and feelings to another level, where it's not just walking into a building, but it's, I mean, it's visiting the presence of the Lord, to literally dwell in the presence of of God, how, like, how can we possibly do that one? I mean, will, will, the Lord, will the Lord even welcome us as a sojourner into his tent? Will the Lord even allow us to dwell on his holy hill? I mean, after all, this is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is the God who shook the mountain. This is the God who's, whose glory fills the earth. This is the God who can destroy both uh, body and soul in the hell. 
This isn't us like nervously walking into a church service for the first time. How can we possibly dwell in the presence of the holy God? That's the question that Psalm 15 will answer for us this morning. We'll be, um, hopefully it's pretty obvious, but in Psalm 15, if you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. And then uh, if you don't have anything, but you have a bulletin, it's all there on the back. But uh, let's pray together. We'll read the text and walk through it. Father, we are um, thankful to gather together this morning. We're thankful to, uh, to study your, your word. And God, as we, as we walk through the text, and I think as we'll see, God, I, I, I pray that we're overwhelmed. God, that we're first, we're overwhelmed. I mean, what, what person here could possibly dwell in your presence. And then we're overwhelmed with the answer. So God, give us understanding as we walk through Psalm 15. And uh, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Psalm 15, it says this. A Psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up reproach against his friend and whose eyes a, a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. The obvious is a song of, of David that begins with two questions from David. In reality, they're the same questions uh, phrased in two different ways in the text. Who shall sojourn in your tent and who shall dwell on your holy hill? Most people believe that David wrote those two questions after he oversaw the work of the moving of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. We see this account in 2 Samuel 6 when David and around 30,000 of his men moved this Ark up the hill. Uh, this is 2 Samuel 6, starting in verse 12. And it was told, and it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, only six steps, he sacrificed an ox and, fattened a, and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod and David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So you can see like the root of David's question in Psalm 15, 1 in light of 2 Samuel 6. God is, is supreme, God is powerful, God is awesome. And so we have David who's just in awe of the Lord. David has even moved in his bones with nothing on but a linen ephod to dance before the Lord with all his might. This is not some tame or 
man-made God of the pagan nations. This is the God of Israel. So the questions of verse 1 is rooted in David's awe that we see of God. I mean, what, what man could possibly dwell in the presence of God? What man could possibly have union and peace with that God? The question that will be answered in verses 2 through 5, the question in your notes, what man can dwell in the presence of God? I'm going to give you a few things here from the text. Uh, what man can dwell in the presence of God? The first one that you will see is he is the man who walks with integrity. The man who walks with integrity. This Psalm of David, it gives us a list. We might call this list a list of virtues. We might call it a list, uh, like a to-do list for the believer. Regardless, it's a clear list of what it means to be a man or, or even a woman that desires to stand in the presence of the Lord. In verse 2, it gives us this threefold summary or that I would summarize as a man of integrity. If you look at verse 2, it's the man who walks blamelessly. It's the man that does what is right. It is the man that speaks truth in his heart. So if you want to enjoy the presence of the Lord, now maybe you don't. Maybe you don't care. But if you're here, if you're listening, and, and you do, if you really want unity with those around you, but most importantly, if you want unity with God, then you better be a person of integrity. I'm going to attack verse 2 of our text in the reverse order because... David is not calling us to speak our truth in our own heart, but to speak God's truth in our own heart. Meaning, we are not a people of integrity when we privately live out our own definition of truth. We are only a people of integrity when we privately live out the truth found in God's word. We do, we do what, is, what is right in the sight of God, even when we're not in the sight of anyone else. I mean, that, that's integrity. And to David's point, it's this ongoing action. Like, you don't call someone blameless because uh, they make one good decision. You call someone blameless because they make a thousand good decisions every single day for the long haul. The idea is, is really not to have a, a blameless moment, but as the text says, to walk blamelessly. I, uh, I know the church will never be crushed. I get that. Um, but the church has been deeply wounded by men and women that fail to take verse 2 seriously. The man that led me to the Lord and baptized me in the church waters cheated on his wife with our church secretary. He did not publicly repent. He left uh, my home church wounded. The Southern Baptist Convention uh, launched their own investigation on the sexual abuse happening within their own denomination, and uh, the report showed clear evidence that many across the board intentionally lied, or at the very least, covered up a lot of abuse. And that's, it's not just one denomination, but church after church across the country, it's just been littered with abuse and misuse of financial funds and power-hungry men that use their platform for personal gain. 
So I know it certainly feels like the church is being wounded by outside forces. But the truth is, we're, I mean, we're wounding ourselves far greater because we don't even live out verse 2. Living with integrity, it's not religious legalism. It's a calling to be holy like our God is holy. That, that is the man that will dwell in the house of the Lord. A man that didn't let his sin rot in the dark until it destroyed himself and all those around him. So, church, we obvious application must strive to be men and women of integrity. And I'm fully aware that starts with me. What man can dwell in the presence of God? Point two, the man who loves his neighbor. The man who loves his neighbor. Another uh, threefold list in the text, looking at verse 3. Who does not slander with his tongue, who does no evil to his neighbor, who does not take up reproach against his friend. It's not a coincidence that the list of verse 3 reflects the list of verse 2. So we need integrity to properly live out the list of verse 3. It takes integrity, right, to not slander someone behind their back. It takes integrity to look after your neighbor when they may not be looking out after you. It takes integrity to keep peace with friends even when they might say or do things sometimes that you don't really like. That's this this high calling of the text to become peacekeepers in a world that wants war. So Christians, uh, I hope this, this might hurt, but... We don't want war. We are not going to war against the culture. The primary war we should be battling is the war within our own flesh. The story of the Bible isn't to win a culture war. The story of the Bible is to preach Christ, to love your neighbor, and to suffer like he suffered. So it has absolutely infuriated me, to be fair, um, to be on... Facebook the past few weeks. I don't know why I keep getting on there, but um, it, ang- like it angers me to see people I love, like, like good people, I mean, all things considered, genuine people, family and friends, post misinformation on what Christianity really is. It stirs a, like a fire inside of me to see people so angry that the Supreme Court upheld the Constitution that they were called to upheld. Or uphold. Like, it, it, it angers me in a way that I believe we see in verse 4 that in my own eyes despise the vile person. And I'm not going to go into every detail of what that verse means, but it certainly means it's right and, and normal to be disgusted uh, and, and to despise the wickedness that we are seeing around us. And yet, yet, I ha- like I have to step back and look at the word and, and not be led by my emotions, and I have to step back and remind myself what the Word says in Mark 12, 31. Jesus, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there's no other commandment greater than these. We love our neighbor, which, without doing a bunch of exegetical work, like, We love everyone. 
We aren't talking behind people's back because we don't like them or disagree with them politically. We aren't plotting evil against someone, even if they're plotting evil against us. We aren't holding grudges against family and friends that hold different views than we do. The man that will dwell in the presence of God is a man that loves his neighbor. And that doesn't mean that we don't speak truth in love. There are times to say uncomfortable and difficult uh, things, but it also means Christians don't use truth as an excuse to never show kindness. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I have, I'll continue to speak passionately against abortion. But we must also realize there are women that have found themselves in the darkest moments of life. Women that are not murderers. Uh, women that, are, that don't hate children. Women that don't want to kill babies. There are women that are swimming in the deep end of hopelessness and despair. There are women that don't feel the kick of their child in the womb and are filled with excitement and awe. There are women that see and feel nothing but hopelessness, and there are women that have and continue that walk into abortion clinics because they see nowhere else to go. Friends, the culture war is not our war. The culture war is a reflection of the real war we fight, Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need men and women to stop being social media warriors, myself included, and start pleading before the Lord in the heavenly realms. I mean, we need men and women that are willing to love their neighbor in word, meaning we're not going to talk behind people's back or online. And we also love our neighbor indeed by showing practical love. We're not going to turn the tide of abortion because we post on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. That will never be enough. Running our mouth online and doing nothing is the, literally the definition of virtue signaling. So Christians stand in the gap of hopeless families and hopeless children. So we understand verse 3, but does East River Park understand what it means to really love their neighbor. I mean, what are we going to do as a church to address the lack of foster families? Because it's huge. What are we going to do as a church to support single moms? What are we going to do as a church to support adoption? The average domestic adoption uh, is $30,000. I'm just telling you the facts. Like, what are we going to do or continue to do to start standing in the gap, loving your neighbor. It's not just a great idea, it's an action that the world is growing dark. And the countercultural response of the Bible love your neighbor. What, what man can dwell in the presence of God? Point three it's, it's the man who keeps his word. End of verse four. It says, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That, that line explicitly ties into verse 5, as we will see. But the man that wants to dwell in the presence of God is a man that keeps his word. 
Like he doesn't say one thing and then backs out when it gets difficult. In fact, he will keep his word even when it no longer personally benefits him. Deuteronomy 23, 23. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. It's this serious warning throughout the Bible that we're not to make promises that we cannot keep, that we are careful to keep our word. The strong warning is built on this foundation of our faith that we are a people of the word, specifically the word of God. So if our faith is built on the promises of the word that don't change, we should be careful to actually follow through with what we say, that we let our yes be yes and our no be no. And my wife will often text me uh, when I'm in the church office and say, hey, when are you going to be home? And I'll text back, I'll be 30 minutes. And then 45 minutes later, she'll text me. She said, I thought you were going to say 30 minutes. Um, Keeping your word is important. When you promise your wife something, do it. Talking to myself. When you promise to be at your kids' events, do it. When you threaten a consequence with your child or grandchild, follow through with it. When you promise to get something done, do it. I mean, that's really the heart of a man that's full of integrity, that he keeps his word, even if he doesn't personally benefit from it in the moment. The world needs more men that mean what they say and keep their word. What man can dwell in the presence of God? Here's point four. It's the man who helps those in need. Um, The overflow, the end of verse four, is verse five. Let me tell you what verse five is not, and then I'll tell you what verse five is. Um, It's not wrong to lend money. Uh, It's not wrong to take money that's lended. It's not wrong to lend money with interest. Sorry, Dave Ramsey. That is not what King David is discussing in verse 5. David is discussing this illegal act of usury or the illegal act of lending, lending money at this ridiculously high interest rate to those that are in need. You can see this actually outlined in Exodus 22, 5. It says, if you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not exact interest from him. And we see that even further explained uh, more clearly in Leviticus, Leviticus 25, starting in verse 35. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner. And he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest or give him your food for profit. The idea is not to help someone that is in need for personal gain. It'd be like giving someone uh, $10 in the front of Walmart that needs help, and you're like, hey, I just want to help you out, brother, but I need you to like vacuum my car out when you're done you know, with that. Or um, it'd be, it would be like charging families at soup kitchens if they bring too many kids. Capitalism is good, but Christians don't use capitalism as an excuse to take advantage of the poor. 
Christians don't take advantage of the innocent, or as some uh, translations say, the hungry. So there is a growing need, a growing concern in Carter County for those that are in need, and frankly, a lot of those people put themselves there with their own foolish decisions, but we shouldn't look at those in need as an opportunity for selfish gain, but look at those in need as an opportunity to serve. I mean, just look at some of the Proverbs. I'll go through the list. There's four of them here. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. 22, 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. The man or woman that wants to dwell in the presence of God is called to help those in need. That we see a need and serve, not, not for personal gain, not so we can serve as a church and increase church attendance or, or, or get some weird Facebook likes, not for financial prosperity. We meet the need simply because we're called to meet the need. That is the man that will dwell in the presence of God. And I, I share this list uh, this morning for reasons that David shares this list. First, it, it's our, I mean, to be real, it's our righteous calling. To be a Christian is not just to believe the right things. It's to actually follow Christ and his teachings. The world needs more men and women that as Christ followers are pursuing points one through four. Personally, the world needs more men that are going to actually do these things. Men that will walk with integrity before their families. Men that will love their neighbor, even if it's not always easy to do. Men that will keep their word among their family and friends. Men that will help those in need even if it means they gain nothing from it in the moment. We need more men in this church to start acting like godly men. This is the song that David has written for us and a charge for us to do something. We need to be a people that are actually practicing what we preach. And yet, that's not why I taught this message. That's, I don't think that's the heart of why David wrote the song. Secondly, and most importantly, I hope you look at that list and you look at your notes and you feel crushed. I really do. I hope you see how much you struggle with integrity. I, I hope you see how much you, you really struggle to love your neighbor. I hope you, you see how much you struggle to keep your word. I hope you see how much you struggle to help those in need. I hope we feel crushed. I had a conversation with my daughter. This has been about a year ago. She really wrestled uh, that day with listening to her mommy and daddy. It doesn't happen often. That's a lie. And... Um, I, I put her to bed that night and told her I loved her and... We just kind of discussed how the day went and uh, how she wasn't listening. And it was in that moment 
that she told me something that I hope every child tells their parent. Uh, she looked defeated and she said, I, I can't do everything you're asking of me. And I, I smiled and said, I know, like neither can I. That's why we need Jesus. See, it, it doesn't mean I don't want my children to stop listening to us. It doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to live out points one through four. We just need to get to a spot where we realize, like, I just can't do everything you're asking of me. I want to be in the presence of God. I'm just not good enough. And like my daughter, I, I hope we feel the crushing weight of expectation before the Holy God. Psalm 24, 3, to add more pressure, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Isaiah 33, 14, the sinner Sinners in Zion are afraid, trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? He who has walked righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of the oppressions, who shakes his hand lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil, he will dwell in the heights. His place of defense will be the fortress of the rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. The point is we should strive to live out verses 2 through 5 while at the same time knowing we can't. The question is what man can dwell in the presence of God? And the real answer is truly only the God-man Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2:21 for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, and by his wounds you have been healed. What man can dwell in the presence of God? The answer is none of us can on our own. Who can dwell in the presence of God is only the person that dwells in the God-man. That's our summary point this morning. Who can dwell in the presence of God? We can only dwell in the presence of God because of the God-man. I hope you and I feel this unbearable weight of expectation from the word. And yet I hope you and I see the profound hope of the gospel. I don't know about you, uh, so I'll just say this for me. Um, I'm not always full of integrity. Christ is. I don't always love my neighbor, but Christ does. I don't always keep my word, but Christ has never said anything he won't fulfill. I don't always help those in need, but Christ fulfilled my greatest need. 
And it is only through the work of the God-man that you and I can dwell in the presence of God. And I'll leave you with these two verses in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you want to talk about anything after the message, want to respond, prompting of the Spirit, uh, give your life to Christ, just want someone to pray over you. We'd love to talk with you, but let's pray, sing, um, and then we'll chat.